Hello, my name is Anne-Marie Cannon, and I'm the host of Armchair Historians. What's your favorite history? Each episode begins with this one question. Our guests come from all walks of life. YouTube celebrities, comedians, historians, even neighbors from the small mountain community that I live in. They're people who love history and get really excited about a particular time, place, or person from our distant or not-so-distant past. The jumping-off point is the place where they became curious, then entered the rabbit hole into discovery. Fueled by an unrelenting need to know more, we look at history through the filter of other people's eyes. Armchair Historians is a Belgian Rabbit production. Stay up to date with us through Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Wherever you listen to your podcast, that is where you'll find us. Armchair Historians is an independent, commercial-free podcast. If you'd like to support the show and keep it ad-free, you can buy us a cup of coffee through Ko-fi, or you can become a patron through Patreon. Links to both in the episode notes. Hello, fellow armchair historians. I just want to say that this episode has it all. Several weeks back, we put out a call for spooky stories on Twitter. The response was incredible. This is one of the Halloween season episodes that resulted. Host of Horrifying History podcast, Brenda Gansky, has crafted a truly horrifying history, true crime tale. Now this true crime history has everything, including horse hauntings, successful squatters, angry townspeople, murders, and much more. Sit back, fellow armchair historians, and buckle up while the host of Horrifying History Podcast enchants you with the true story of the Black Donnellys. Brenda Gansky, welcome and thank you for being here today. Thanks for having us. I'm so excited because this is one of the histories I did not, I was almost tempted today to look up I have no idea about it. So um, tell me a story. What's your favorite history that we're going to be talking about today? Well, um, on our show, we tell a lot of haunted stories, like haunted places, or we do talk about historical true crime. But there's always just been one story that always is fair or like just sits in the front for me, always has. And it's the story of the Black Donnellys. There's a couple reasons behind that, to be honest with you. Firstly, I think it's because when people hear of Canada, they just think we're all nice and polite and say sorry a lot. And (laughs) as much as that is a a stereotype is true, and I'm sorry for saying it, couldn't, couldn't resist. It's not always that way. And there is a lot of bad stuff that happens up here. And historically, there has been a lot of really rough stuff. And this story specifically, it's been very popular in Canadiana. It's so severe. It is part of our heritage, but also it's a story that if you go in anywhere in the country, it's highly likely somebody's heard about it. And that's why I think I enjoy it so much is because there's always great tales about haunted places, but also looking into them. A lot of them are actually exaggerated through the years and they're exaggerated for a lot of different reasons. Like sometimes it's to bring tourists in. Sometimes it's just to further demonize what actually happened. But in the, in the story of the black Donnelly's, none of this applies. So I'm just oh. going to give my disclaimer. Um, okay. The tale I'm going to tell you is actually exactly how it happened. <laughs> it's not exaggerated. Okay. And, I'm so excited. Um, but, I do want to tell you that my ancestors came 
over to Canada and were in Ontario, and then they came down to the United States. So I feel like this; these are my people. Where, where do you know whereabouts they went in Ontario? Oh yeah, uh, Woodstock. You're actually close. Okay, in St. <laughs> Catharines. Yep. So basically, your ancestors were in near that area at that time. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yay. <laughs> now, yay. Uh, they weren't involved, but... <laughs> but uh, Hopefully. It, and the reason I'm saying that is because I'm going to give my disclaimer of it actually is a case of extreme hatred, and it's targeted against one specific family, and it just shows corruption at the highest levels, and it really shows about how anger can overflow, and it can create a whole community that just had a taste for blood. Can I get a more of a disclaimer in there for you, for your listeners? No, it's no, going to be I a little think- rough. I think we're going to love it. We're going to put our seatbelts on and go for the ride. Put your seatbelt on because we're about to go. So the tale that I'm going to tell today actually starts back in Ireland. And it starts with a a young couple who fell in love. And their names were James and Joanna Donnelly. And they were married very shortly after their courtship in their homeland in about 1840. So they had their first son, who they named John Jr., and they, the two, or the three together, immigrated over to Canada. Now, after they settled, they actually had more children, and seven more to be exact. And they wanted to settle down onto a homestead. They decided to go to an area called, it's a township of Bidolf, and it's near London, Ontario, which is actually okay. right near to St. Catharines, where your yes. ancestors were from. And Like many communities that was in Ontario during the 19th century, this community was dealing with constant crime, and the crime ranged anything from robbery to assault to murder. Now, also during that time, bringing anybody to justice was not easy, and there was a couple different reasons behind that, because the majority of the constables were not trained at all. They were often the criminals themselves, so (laughs) that makes it a little more difficult to get a lawless land to be following the law. Also, for various different reasons, the courts at that time actually weren't handing out a punishment what people think were reasonable either. So all that in combination put it like the wild, wild west out there. So after they moved to the area, the Donleys decided to settle on a land that did not belong to James legally. They became squatters. Now, this land was actually owned by a company called the Canada Company, and they leased it to a man named James Grace. It's unsure if James ever knew if the land was owned by anybody. And honestly, squatting at that time was a common frontier practice, and it was supported by the courts under common law property rights. So what he wasn't doing anything illegal at the time. So in 1856, a man named Patrick Farrell bought the land from James Grace. So when Patrick immigrated from Ireland to go take his property into possession, he was really shocked to see the Donnelly family living there. So he got really mad. He went to court. And in 1857, he tried to get the Donnellys evicted from that property. Well, the disputants actually then agreed in court to allow James to keep and reside on 50 acres of land, which actually was way less than what the Donnellys cleared over the 10 years they they occupied it. Now, even though there was an agreement and it was all legal and made in court, uh, Farrell would often, whenever he would see one of the Donleys in public, he would just start vocally attacking him. And on June 27th, 1857, Farrell actually attacked Donnelly at a public event. So he threw a handspike 
at him. So apparently these things just lie all over the ground. So James actually then grabbed another handspike in self-defense and threw it at him, and he actually killed Farrell. So when that happened, the first thing James did was he went and hid for the next two years before he went and turned himself into trial. Now, James was sentenced to be hanged for his crime in 1859, because again, back then, the self-defense thing was not really thought about. So he was actually determined to go and hang, but his wife, Joanna, actually submitted a petition for clemency. So what happened is James had his sentence reduced to seven years in Kingston Penitentiary in Kingston, Ontario. So that penitentiary is actually now a museum in itself. And it basically, to give your listeners an idea, it's kind of like the Alcatraz of Canada. Not a nice place. Really pretty rough. Seven years is a lot. So meanwhile, in 1873, the Donnelly Stagecoach Line was started by William Donnelly, who was James's son, and it was a major success. So William, he managed the company with his brothers, Michael, John, and Thomas, and the company rivaled the official Stagecoach Line at that time, which was in place in eight, since 1838. So the competition fell to pressure, and they sold their company to a man named Patrick Flanagan, and he was determined to just drive the Donleys out of business. So this now set a stage for the feud between the Donnelly Stagecoach Line and the Flanagan and Crawley Stagecoach Line, and they started destroying each other's property, they would burn it down, the horses were beaten or killed, you name it, they were doing it. So, But here's the thing, both were doing it. But the community blamed all the the violence on the Donleys because they were saying, oh, they're just troublemakers. And this just ruined their reputation even further. So as the tension was building towards the family, they just started getting charged with many things, including assault, robbery, arson, trespassing, verbal assault, attempted murder, uh, assaulting a police officer. But... The Donleys always went to court, and they were always find, um, found not guilty in a court of law. And this just really peeved off the community even more and make them really start to hate the family. Uh, so then in June of 1879, this is where things start going drastically downhill. So a man named Father John Conley, he created what he called the Peace Society in the county before he started preaching to his parish about the activity that was occurring and his thoughts on who was responsible, which is pretty irresponsible of him to do, but they listened. He started asking everybody to pledge support by having their homes searched for stolen property. Now, out of this group, another group started, and it was called the Vigilante Community, or Committee, and they formed, and evidence shows that the members of the Vigilance Community and also this peace formation from the, from the pastor actually were the ones that were responsible for all the crimes. So, (laughs) but the Donnellys thought at the time what they were doing was smart. They decided not to sign that pledge because they thought that the community would use this as an opportunity to just hide stolen property on their property and set Mm -hmm. them up. Now, Mm -hmm. to make things even worse, um, James Donnelly kind of stirred the pot here a bit. He stood up in church to denounce the priest himself, who started to preach hatred against the Protestants in this area. Now, the thing is, many of the Donnelly's friends were Protestant. So he was just standing up for his people, his friends, right? And also, the other big faux pas that he did is he donated money to the building of an Anglican Anglican church, which his friends were of that faith. And this completely outraged society. Like, how dare you support somebody else? This just proves what we're thinking all along. 
So this anger boiled over on February 3rd, 1880. And what happened was, this is the date that the Peace Society decided to take action. So the original plan, okay, so you feel free to laugh about this original <laughs> plan. It's so ridiculous, you will laugh, even though it's a little inappropriate, but I laugh too. So what they said is they were going to go into the family home, the Donnelly family home at late at night when everyone's asleep. They would handcuff the male members of the family. They would drag them out and hang them by a tree by the neck until they confessed to all the crimes. But this was only going to hurt them, to scare them a little bit. Firstly, how are you going to confess if they're, you're hanging by a rope by your neck? And secondly, oh, that's only to hurt them? Really? <laughs> So this was their grand plan. So to help with this, the peace societies decided to set up patrols to survey the property to figure out when they're going to be home and not and how to get onto that property without being detected by anybody. So on February 2nd, James and his son went to town to go pick up a boy named Johnny O'Connor. He was a relative. Now, Johnny was going to stay overnight, and then he was going to, the next day, look after the farm when the families go into court for the last round of charges that were put against them. So at about 1 a.m. on February 3rd, the Peace Society decided to get together and they started drinking to gain their liquid courage before they mounted their attack. When they got empowered with enough liquor, they walked over to the Donnelly home and surrounded the perimeter of the property. Now, a constable of the area, his name was James Carroll. He entered the unlocked home. He handcuffed Joanna and James's son, Tom, who was asleep. So after he handcuffed him, he woke him up and said he was under arrest, which woke up Joanna and her niece Bridget, who was visiting from Ireland. Now, the commotion also woke up John, who asked Constable Carroll, what are the charges? And then Tom asked for the constable to read the arrest warrant. And since this was just a big farce, the constable gave the signal to the Peace Society, who was outside, to start to swarm the house with their clubs. So at this point, uh, the Peace Society broke into the house and started beating up John, Joanna, and Tom. Now, Bridget was able to escape, so she ran upstairs to hide. Now, Johnny also hid. He actually was hiding under John Donnelly's bed, but since the men didn't actually know he was on the property, they didn't go looking for him. So John was hit repeatedly in the skull until he died. Joanna, she actually fought really hard against her attackers, but she was beaten and killed by the constable himself. Now, Tom was able to break her free from his attackers, and he started running towards the front door to escape. But as he was running, he was stabbed multiple times with a pitchfork. When he fell onto the ground, several men carried his body into the kitchen where his parents' bodies were placed, and they decided to remove his handcuffs. Now, after this, just to make sure Tom was dead, they just hit him in the head several more times just to make sure they were good. Then the men went upstairs. They found Bridget, who was hiding, and they Ugh. beat her to death. So they carried her body downstairs and they put her with the rest of the family. Meanwhile, when all this is going on, one of the men decided to kill and decapitate the family dog because the dog started to bark. So it was at this point of their murder spree that the group realized that they were missing John Jr. And they decided just on the fly, let's just create a brand new plan to rid the community of the entire Donnelly family. Let's just take them all out. So what they did is they lit the house on fire with the bodies inside and they went hunting for John Jr., after they left, Johnny, who was under the bed, was able to escape that burning home and start looking for help. So at about 2 a.m., the peace society... Where is he going to find help from? Well, exactly the point, because the whole community is kind of in on it, right? Yeah. So at this point, it's 2 a.m., 
the Peace Society arrives at a place called Wayland Corners, and that is where uh. John Jr. lived. So they surrounded his house. At this time, they decided to try to get Will Donnelly, who also lived with his brother, to come out of the house. So instead of storming the home, they decided to beat Will's prized horse to try to lure him out of the house. But the problem was the barn was too far away for anyone to hear anything. So spoiler alert for everybody, the horse lives. Okay. <laughs> Probably one of the only ones that live, Phew. but the horse lives. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> so one of the men started yelling for Will to come outside while he was carrying a shotgun to the side of the house. Will woke up hearing somebody calling him, but it was actually John Jr. that went to the door. He received gunshots to his chest and his groin, and oh. it caused damage to his chest, his lungs, his collarbone, and his ribs. He fell to the ground, where they shot him seven more times just to make sure. And they also said it was punishment for what he did. So the thing is, Will Donnelly's wife, Nora, she heard all this. She was in the house. She tried her best to try to pull John away to safety, but she couldn't move the body on her own. Meanwhile, Will was hiding in a bedroom, but he was able to peek out a window to see who was attacking his home. And interestingly enough, one of the men he saw was Nora's own brother. <gasps> yeah, <laughs> not good. So at this point, the Peace Society said they're getting a little tired from all the murdering and the beating and stuff. So they just said, let's just survey the perimeter for a while. They'll come outside. So they waited about three more hours. They're sobering up. They're getting tired. So they're like, okay, we're done. We're going to leave the property now. So the next day, Johnny, Will, and his wife, Nora, reported the attack of the, to, and the murders to the local magistrate. Even though reports say 35 men participated in these murders, it was only Constable Carroll and five other additional men from the Peace Society that were arrested. So that's six people out of 35. Oh they went goodness. to trial. And at the trial, you have one guess to find out who was one of the key witnesses. Who do you think? The brother? Johnny. The guy under the bed. Right? Oh, okay. He was one Makes of the sense. key witnesses. Okay. Right. So he witnessed the entire massacre that happened at the house before it burned, right? So these right. vigilantes did everything they could to prevent him from testifying, including burning down his parents' house and threatening to kill the family. So, meanwhile, William Donnelly, he also testified, and he suffered the same sort of retaliation. Now, the defense witnesses in the trial were all friends and family of the vigilante community, and they sure. backed the alibis of every single person on trial. So, due to this, the first trial went to a hung jury, with one juror actually publicly saying he would not convict even if he witnessed these murders himself. That will tell you how badly and how biased this community was. So oh during the second trial, the judge gave instructions to the jury that you can't listen to Johnny's testimony. Why? Well, Johnny's mother decided she wanted to get paid for his testimony. So now they took out Johnny's testimony. So now Constable Carroll and the five men were determined to be not guilty. And when they publicly announced it, the community had a party and it lasted a full day and night. Unbelievable, wow. isn't it? Unbelievable. But that, as I was mentioning before, the Black Donnelly story is a well-known piece of Canadiana. But interestingly, a lot of the inhabitants of the township through the years tried to su suppress this subject for obvious reasons. Their ancestors were the murderers, right? Right, right. But 
In the recent years, several businesses started up centered around this tragedy. Multiple songs and books were released about this. And in 2007, NBC actually released a, a TV series called The Black Donnellys that was based on this story. And in 2017, another short story was released about the events, or a short film, sorry. You actually, though, if you guys want to go see it, you can take a tour of that Donnelly homestead, which many people report supernatural events take place on their tours, which why wouldn't it? right with all that trauma so what they say happens at the farm is that items go missing regularly and they're later found in unexplainable places doors slam themselves people hear footsteps from unseen sources and they report being touched by unseen hands now individuals also claim to hear voices talking in the middle of the night and they hear screams coming from the barn They also claim that they feel like they're being watched by unseen eyes at that barn. So why do you think the barn? The horse? No, but you're kind of close. The house burnt down, remember? Yeah. So they rebuilt that house, but the barn is original structure to the crime. Right. I I do ghost tours here in Georgetown, Colorado, and uh, that's one of the things that I say is that uh, paranormal activity is attracted to what is physical and what is familiar. Exactly. And that barn is original to the time. Now, the, the interestingly, too, it's not just the barn that is a hotspot. There has been so many reports of shadow people and ghostly figures throughout this entire property. It got so bad that the family who purchased the property after the deaths called the local priest to do last rites and bless the property. So even so, it's still said that the activity is still very extreme to this day, and it's one of the most haunted sites in Canada. Now, in in addition to all this, the road where the vigilantes walked is supposedly haunted now. It's said that horses, which you brought up earlier, horses will not go down that road during at the night of February 3rd, and if they do, the horse will die soon afterwards. Also, it's said that horses will not walk on the Donnelly property at all. And in case you thought, no, there's not enough ghost stories here, people report seeing headless horses galloping throughout this township and live horses throughout the township supposedly go berserk on a regular basis for reasons that they have no idea why. My thought is, maybe (laughs) this is just revenge against the Peace Society beating Will's prize horse. Yeah, (laughs) I hope it is. It's crazy, isn't it? And this happened in Canada. (laughs) Well, well told, well told. I have to say you told that story very, very well. Well, it's a new rabbit hole for me. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) You're dying to see if your relatives were there, aren't you? (laughs) I wish I could find out what they thought about it. Like, oh. It it would have been in the news when they were there. Definitely. I would have I would imagine so. Well, I wonder how it was depicted in the news. Was it depicted in other places? In the area, well, that the thing is, that's how they developed the terminology being called the Black Donnellys for years as a way to kind of enable that behavior and okay. that they got away with it. They pushed the narrative that the Donnellys were just evil human beings, that they deserve what they got. But as the years went by and historians started taking a look, they realized, no, not so much. Uh, it, it's a story of people not liking each other and people behaving badly and that accelerating to a point that encompasses an entire community, right? 
And I'm not saying the Donnellys were innocent. They definitely weren't. But were mm-hmm. they guilty of everything? Absolutely not. Nobody deserves to be killed in that way. And no, and no burning a stagecoaches really is worth that retaliation. No, definitely not. Since 2016, I was wishing that my ancestors would have stayed in Canada. <laughs> because, <laughs> because of similar, you know, behavior and ideology and... Ugh. But it's it's human nature at its worst and still is present in the world today. So Absolutely. And and the thing is, uh, and that's why I love telling this story, is again the reputation of Canada is that you're all nice and you say thank you and please and open doors. And no, not everyone is like that. And it doesn't matter where you live, there is always something that needs to change no matter where you're at there is always bigotry there's always racism and it's our responsibility to tell stories like this to indicate that these things happen because they still happen today in different ways and if you don't talk about it it will happen again yeah well said well said so is that what your fascination with horrifying history is is it to tell the story so that we learn from history or is there a darker part of you? <laughs> First of all, tell us what your uh, podcast is. Well, Horrifying History, how I came up with the idea of it three years ago, I never even listened to a podcast ever. And my girlfriend announced on social media that her and her brother were starting a true crime based a paranormal true crime based podcast. I got to support my girl. So I'm listening to the show. And I really absolutely fell in love with podcasting because it reminds me of way back when when there was only terrestrial radio. It's so controlled. And you can't say a lot. And then they invented satellite radio. And then with that became same came so much freedom. And I see podcasts as an extension of that. So much so, I actually am on a radio show in Georgia um, the last Wednesday of every month, so tomorrow. And um, that is what talking to the, the station manager, he's saying the evolution is that terrestrial radio is becoming more talk radio. Because that is, if you want to download a song, you can just go onto iTunes and download it, right? So, and that is what I'm loving is podcasting is now influencing terrestrial radio to evolve it to be something similar. And I love the fact that I can listen to whatever I want. But with that said, I started looking for exactly what I wanted and I couldn't find it. The thing is, when it comes to horror genre... It always seems to be a lot the same. You tell spooky stories or, or, or personal experiences, which I like. It, there's a reason why it works. But then you look at true crime genre, and it is always the same formula, which again, because it works and it has to be. Person does a crime, they, they, we talk about that, you catch the bad guy and all's good in the world, or it's a call for action because you don't find that guy and, and we have to help solve the crime. But I thought, why aren't we mixing the two? We really need to take a more an investigative look at a lot of the events that happen that are supposedly paranormal. And why don't we just take a look at it and tell it, see what the history tells us. Let's see what the facts and the documentation shows us. And let's do a study of this. Can it happen? And that is, as soon as I thought of that, that's where horrifying history just poof in my head. And I'm like, I totally can't do this. There's no way. Because honestly, I was moving from Western Canada to Eastern Canada. I, I didn't have time. But as I'm driving the seven days across Canada, all I'm thinking in my head is logos, 
show ideas. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> this is not good. So it was actually a couple months after I arrived here that I started developing Horrifying History. I love it. I listened to your latest episode from Russia with love. It is truly horrifying. So what is your format? (laughs) Well, my format uh, changes and people say, how do you get your show ideas? And we're at a point with our podcast, we got we got some great fans, and they sent us some great ideas. But I love to tell not just one story. I like to look at like, say a topic idea. Like for example, I have a show coming out tomorrow called our, which I'm pretty sure anybody in the spooky world has heard about who put Bella in the witch elm. And I heard that story and I, I loved doing the deep dive into it of what the options all could have been and how that could have happened. So you'll find, for example, I started an episode and it was actually about voodoo and I was planning to tell a lot of voodoo lore. But when I started investigating it, it really just went south on me. And I did a a change right in the middle. And I decided to make the episode on how voodoo religion was used against the practitioners to make them look a certain way to make oppression easier and more accepted. They tried to make it into something bad, to make these guys look like heathens and murderers when they were not. And uh, so that's why it's kind of hard to say, because sometimes, for example, I'll talk about uh, witches and I'll be planning to tell a story, one story. No, doesn't happen. (laughs) It has a mind of its own, the story. It just just does its own thing. (laughs) Well, I think that's the best way to honor the story is let it tell itself. Mm -hmm. I like that. What is the one message that you want my listeners to get out of this story? Hate never gets you anywhere. When my nephew was about nine, a situation happened and a lie came out and he was really confused on the situation. And so I I actually sat him down and I said, you know what, when it comes to lying, people lie for two reasons, to protect themselves or to get ahead, right? And I said, that's why your uncle and I are really not happy if you lie, because the reality of it is people will find out it's going to happen eventually. And when they find out, they're going to know you as a liar or worse. Right. I said, and you're a good kid. I don't want that for you. So that's why you need to tell the truth, because someday, somehow, that truth will get out and your reputation will be destroyed. And in this story, I find that that resonates, too, because people in the community did what they best could for years to try to hide this, to make their situation look better. And but it came out and it always will come out. Right. Uh, So I think that's the best thing is history. A lot of people want to change history or put a better spin on it. That's the difference between fact and history. History is somebody's opinion more than anything. It's a tale. It's influenced. It's biased. It's very important. And that's what I I try to put forward in my podcast is don't just look at the tale and believe it. Don't believe that internet meme. Dive deeper. Look at sources. Learn the truth because the truth is what's important. And that is the tale that we need to tell to honor the victims or honor or, or honor what actually happened. Uh, and honestly, I hope we try to do it very well in our podcasts. I, I hope. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. That, you know, look at, and I think currently there is a movement to look at the history and retell it. And 
uh, acknowledge some of that, which I try to do in my podcast, acknowledge some of the erased or the hidden histories. And um, I, I'm really impressed. I'm a fan. I'm going to subscribe to the podcast and I'm <laughs> like going to, it's, I'm glad because I'm, I run out of episodes of podcasts that I love and then I go looking for new podcasts. And so definitely I found one. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. And and, and it, it's exactly what you said. It's very important. I, I find that even historically, people rewrote history or put their twist on history to better themselves. I, I, like I said, the only the, there's only two reasons to lie. You lie because to make yourself look better or to get ahead, right? right. It, it's, or, or if you're covering up. And if you look at history, you see that everywhere. It's for lack of better terms, it's whitewashed. And I, I find that in nowadays that we're trying our best to look at all sides of history and, and to own what happened. And I think that's vitally important as a society to grow forward. I agree. I agree. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to say about this history or about, or about your podcast and what you're doing? Uh, well, actually, uh, so since you listened to Ru or with uh, from Russia with Love, I'm having, as I mentioned, a new episode coming out tomorrow. Who put Bella in the witch elm? And I thought he knew the story. Then I started researching, and I'm like, what? Is, how did this turn into spies? I don't uh, what. So it's a very interesting tale. Oh, I do know that one. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it was very interesting. So that actually comes out tomorrow. You can find us actually on our YouTube channel, which is Horrifying History. Uh, you also can actually find Horrifying History everywhere. You have your favorite podcasts. But we also, on our Horrifying History channel, have a new show that we are uh, just a limited series that we're putting out called History Coles Notes. So in Canada... Cole's notes are cliff notes in the United States. Oh, okay. Ah, so that's what we're doing. And uh, the thing is, we're asked a lot of questions. I'm sure you are too by your fans. Like we get a lot of emails and social media questions, not just about spooky history, but about history itself, basic history questions. So I said, why, why not just answer them in, in a video? And so we do, they're about five to eight minutes long. And actually on Thursday, we're having our next episode come out and it's about the Salem witch trials. Because oh, a lot of people hear the story, they think all these women were burnt at the stake, and that's not necessarily what happened. And we also go into the working theories that are out there of why they happened. So that's a little different twist that you'll hear on our show that you don't necessarily hear on the regular shows. And if you guys want to learn more, just go on our social media. We're on Horrifying History on Facebook. We're Horrifying underscore History on Instagram. And Horrifying H-I-S-T-1 on Twitter. There you have it, Brenda Gansky of Horrifying History and the Black Donnellys. To find out more about Brenda and Horrifying History, be sure to check out our episode notes. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week. <laughs>